We are Centrepoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Well, hello. Good, good morning. Good morning. I'm so good that you've come today. And um, just want to encourage you to yeah, finish up those conversations and uh, we'll, we'll get get started. Um, so my name's Chris and I'd just like to add to Nicola's welcome to you. I'm so pleased that you've come and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the newcomers lunch. So if you're feeling new, even if you've been here for several months, you know, why not come along and come and say hello, you get free lunch and that's always good. Um, so that's coming up. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. So I'd love you to start to turn to that now. And if you haven't got a Bible or an app on your phone with it, then you can borrow one of ours. Just stick your hand up in the air, in the air high. And one of our team will come and deliver it to you in your seat. Um, and so Luke chapter 15, it's towards the end of the Bible. And you can read through what we're going to be doing. It might just be that your hand is up because you don't own a Bible, and if that is the case, then you can keep this one as a free gift. Just write your name in it. You can have it. It will bless you and do you good. Um, a free gift on us. And uh, other thing just to mention is that this series, you might recognise the graphics of the PowerPoint when it comes up in a moment, and that is because we are part of a family of churches called Commission, and uh, Commission is a load of churches here in the UK, but also in India, in Spain, Portugal, Nepal, all over the world really, and one of the Commission churches in Southampton is led by a guy called Chris Kilby, and Chris Kilby has written a book called Equipped, which is what we've um, titled this series of our uh, preaching series after. And this this book is all about um, getting to the heart of what it means to kind of share our faith with God, uh, with other people about God, and um, understanding what it means to kind of journey life with others. And so um, we've kind of been, uh, the the kind of headings of each of the talks have been taken from the book, and we've been using the book to give us some encouragement as we come to prepare each week. Obviously, we don't preach... A book we preach the Bible and so um, those who have already got a copy of the book will notice that our talks don't we're not just reading each chapter each week what we're doing is preaching the Bible but our inspiration is I guess for each message has come uh, from here and it might just be that you would love one of these and so um, we gave all our life group leaders some because we're going through this book in our life groups and um, having questions from it I have fair four spare copies so the first four people who come down the front to have one of these, can, you can have it for free. Don't all rush at once. I'll leave them here anyway. You can come at any moment. Once they're gone, they're gone. Also available online um, and in other sources. Well, we've got some people coming. It's good. So um, it will bless you. It'll do you good. There we go. Equipped. <laughs> fight, fight. I want the fifth. Where's the fifth person? Bundle them? No, you're all too kind and nice. So today, I've entitled today's talk, Equipped with a Missionary Heart. Like I said, it's chapter three in the book. And I guess in order for us to have a missionary heart or to understand what a missionary heart is, we need to understand the Father's heart for mission. 
once we know that, then we can know what it is that we're praying for and seeking God for. I love this morning already that as we've come and um, we've just sung songs, we've sung songs about the Father's heart, his faithfulness to us. Chris's word about how God knows you, he loves you and he hears you. There's acceptance in that. It's all Father's heart stuff. And so as already God is speaking to us on this topic this morning, last week one of the, the, um, I briefly mentioned about the prodigal son uh, in one of the points that I was making last week. And today what I want us to do is we're going to dive into that story uh, in a deeper way. And uh, we looked at this in Students and Twenties in 2018. So if if you recognise parts of this talk, then apologies, but it will do you good anyway. And the, the name prodigal, it means this. It means someone who spends money in a recklessly extravagant way. And so this kind of gives us a hint as to what is to come in the story. But it only gives us a hint as to what is to come for one of the sons. As we will see throughout the story, there's actually three people in the story. There's, there's the two sons who both, I would suggest, are lost in the story. And then there's also the father. And so we're going to look at each person in turn and as we do it's just helpful right at the start of Luke chapter 15 uh, it mentions in the first couple of verses that listening to this story that Jesus is about to tell about the prodigal son are two groups of people you've got tax collectors and sinners they make up one group and Pharisees and scribes they make up another group and that really helps us to know that Jesus is speaking to these people because they help us to understand the parable. The, the tax collectors and sinners, they were people who were kind of really looked down in society. They're the ones that kind of, they broke the kind of social conventions. They, they weren't really popular. They, they weren't allowed to go into the synagogues and into sacred spaces. They, um, I guess there were people that kind of had ran away from, from God, didn't really know him. They were far from him. The Pharisees and the scribes, that kind of represents... The, the kind, I guess the religious elite, the educated, the, the people that are high in society, those that have kind of uh, can depend on themselves, have built uh, a living for themselves, they've worked hard and they kind of they know where they stand in society and they have worked hard to get to that place. And so they, there is this element of pride that comes into all of that. And so as we read the story, you'll be able to see these two sons and how they represent those two groups of people. And so let's read it. Luke chapter 15, it will come up on the screen as well. And so it says at the beginning this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And it's prodigal. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son, he said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile... The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he he heard music and dancing, and so he called one of his servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, they replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he he, he has him back safe and sound. The oldest brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because... This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's just uh, an incredible story. Did you notice that, yeah, that parable's got three characters? And so we're going to go through the three and understand how this helps us to know God's heart for people so that we can understand our heart for mission, a missionary heart. So the first one then is a younger son. And there's three things to mention about him. The first thing is that the younger son insulted the father. He wants what is not his. The people listening to this story, they would have been absolutely amazed at the audacity that that younger son had at going to request such a thing from his dad. Because the younger son, he comes to his father and says, give me mine, give me my, 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 my share of the inheritance. Give me my share of the estate. But the thing is, it was never his in the first place. Because... In order for someone to receive their inheritance, normally someone has to what? Die. And so this request to the father is basically saying, I don't want you, but I want your stuff. I just want you to hurry up and die so that I can have my share of the estate, so I can have what is mine. And as shocking as that is, what's worse is that the people's wealth at that time, it was tied up in their land and in their possessions. And so in order for the father to give him his share of an inheritance, he would have to sell off parts of the land, sell off parts of the cattle. And even more than that, people's land and wealth and possessions was part of their identity and their social standing. And so for the father to do that, he would have to give up some of his honour and dignity and respect in the community. And any respectable parent would tell that son where to go. The boy completely insulted the father, but in a shocking turn of events, Jesus reveals that this father is different. He sells up, he takes the hit on his own pride, and he gives him the money freely. He gives him free will. Go on, you go and do what you feel is best. You go and do what you want to do. So he insults the father. He's also deceived. 
The boy goes off believing that there is more love, more joy, more happiness to be found outside the experience of the father than within. He's defeat, deceived. You know, mankind is, mankind's deception is that happiness can be found when we get just a little bit more than what we already have. That house with the extension is better than the house I have. I pull up in the car in my Galaxy and I see a Beamer pull up and I'm like, wow, happiness can be found there. I go to McDonald's and, you know, that is not enough. I need to go supersize because there's more happiness to be found in the larger thing and the bigger thing. Having one girlfriend, yeah, that's, that's nice. But if I can just explore and just have several and, and mix up, wow, that would be really living. There is more happiness to be found in greater things. The deception is so subtle, but it permeates every area of our lives. And so our desires for our cars and, and for kids and, and for our houses, for phones, for tablets, is to increase and get better and, and better. And it's easy to look at other people's lives and think that they are living the life that we want and that we want to be like them. And maybe that's what the son thought. Maybe he saw his other friends and thought that that was truly free living and he wanted to get a piece of that. So he says, give me what's mine. I'm going off with my friends. He is deceived. And then he went on and rejected the father. You know, the son had it all anyway. He had access to the estate anyway. He, he had access to the property. He had the authority of the, of the father on him already. And he rejects him anyway. In verse 13, it tells us that not many days later that, that he, 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 it, was, it didn't take long. As soon as the father gave him the inheritance, it was a few days later and he's off. He's, he's out of there. He rejects being near the father. He's got his money and he wants to go. So he gathers it and he scarpers and he goes off to a far off country and he ends up then squandering it. Squander, squandering. He squandered it in reckless living. He rejects the father. He's off. He's left. And we get to the point of thinking uh, where he, he says, I don't know how I got here. That, that boy he gets to this place where he's at his deepest, uh, darkest moment. I don't know how I got here, but I know I need help. He, he, really, he knew he squandered it all, and he ends up for, for a Jew in the most detestable place on earth, and that's with the pigs, and not only with them, but feeding them. And he's longing to even eat the pods that the pigs eat, and, but no one's given him any of that, and he's thinking, man... It would be even, I know I can't be a son anymore, but if I could just be a servant in my father's household, that would be better than what I'm experiencing right now. He starts to come to his senses and, and he thinks, well, maybe if I just say the right words, then I can come back into my father's household. I know I'll never be a son, but I might just be able to be a slave in his house. And we're going to come to the father's response earlier, uh, later. So let's talk about the older son. Because the older son, he's, he's the good boy. He does the father's will. He stays at home. He, he doesn't blow his money on prostitutes and fast living. He, he's responsible. Jesus is now kind of talking to the other group, that, the Pharisees, the religious elite, the upright, the, the upstanding community, those who've kind of got everything together, those who can just depend on themselves for their living. And you can tell, though, by the words of the older brother that he was just as lost. Because the older brother hears that there's a party and he's wondering, why is there a party? But notice, he doesn't go into the party. He just gets one of the other servants and says, hey, what's, you know, nose puffed up. What's, what's going on in there? This, this doesn't sound good to me. What's, what's happening? 
And then he hears, oh, your brother's come home. This is good. It's great news. Everyone's going to celebrate. Everyone's invited, but he refuses to go in. He sits outside and sulks. He can't bear to bring himself to be joyful for his brother's return. His younger brother has disgraced the whole family. And you know what? Now it's the older brother's turn. And so he does the same. He insults the father also. He refuses to go into what is perhaps the biggest event that the family would have put on for a long, long time. And he stands outside physically casting his vote of no confidence in the father. Then he forces the lord of the manor, the host of this great feast, to leave the banquet that he's put on and to come out to him. He kind of demands, I have rights, don't you know? I should have a say in what you do because he fundamentally believes that it's his as well. But just like the younger brother never had any ownership of that, neither does him. His younger brother, um, which by the way, he refuses to even call his younger brother, he kind of says, this son of yours, which later on the father says, hey, he's your brother, he reminds him, has spent all the money. And this older brother has done the maths because when that younger brother... um, asked for inheritance and received it, the, the dad would have had to sell off a bunch of stuff. And so the inheritance that the older brother is going to receive is diminished. And now when the younger brother is help, like, let back into the hot fold, now he gets half of the little that he had already. And so there's even less for him to receive. And he can't believe it. He's angry and upset. This lousy layabout that spends all his reckless money gets just brought back in. He is angry at this. I can't believe you did that. You even killed the fattened calf and all you gave to me was a little goat. Oh, you didn't even give me a little goat, sorry, sis. He's furious. I've worked myself to death. I've slaved away. All that boy has done is merit exclusion from the family. And so what he does is start to refer to his own record. And he says stuff like, look at how many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your commands. And this is how we know that he, this guy, this older brother is just as lost. Because all these years, when the father has spoken to him and said, hey, come and do this, come and do that, he's seen it as commands. He has been a slave in the household. Everyone else has see, sees him as uh, heir to the throne, son of this great guy, and yet for him he's been a slave. He thinks that acceptance from the father comes through cutting the grass, doing the dishes, working hard. That's how to gain the father's love and approval. And so just in the same way, he is deceived also. He says, I haven't disobeyed any of your orders. And so when the father comes and says, oh, help me with this. Let's go on an adventure and do this. Let's let's try this out. He doesn't see this as spending time with the father. He sees this as slave labour. The father is commander-in-chief. He's not a loving dad. And so he's lived his whole life in slavery, completely lost. And so he's furious. And he said, I've lived up to your expectations, have I not? Everyone in that day defined sin as breaking the rules. If I break the rules, that's when I sin. But here in this story, Jesus shows us that sin is so much more than that. It's a heart attitude. And both sons have sinned. A person who has violated none of the rules on the moral list of do's and don'ts can be just as lost as one who has. Because sin is when we put ourselves in the wrong place. 
It's when we put ourselves up on a pedestal that we don't have a right to be in. It's when we put ourselves in the Father's place, in, in God's place, which is exactly what the older brother had been doing. And so expected that he should have a right to a say to what the father should do with his property. Just like the younger son wanted what wasn't his, so did the older brother. And so he's deceived also. And then he, he rejects the, the father. The older son, he insults the father who refuses to go in. He insults his decision. He makes a public announcement of it by not going in. And so the older, the, the, the father comes out to him and he's talking to him. And he rejects the idea that this could possibly be a good thing. That we are celebrating this squandering layabout son's return. Both sons fought to displace the authority of the father in their lives. They wanted to be in control of their own lives. and Because that's how they thought, thought they would find happiness. It was wealth, not the love of the father, that both sons really sought after. The younger son through rebellion. It's my life, it's my decision. The older son through control and manipulation. He obeys the father to get things rather than obeying the father to get the father or to please him or to know him or to resemble him in any way. He's angry because he feels that he has earned the right to have the say with what the father does with the ring, the robes, the money, the finance, everything. And so he's resentful and he refuses to share in the father's happiness. And so the elder brother's heart is laid bare as he rejects the father. So it's good to consider then, how does the father respond? What do we see about God's heart through the father as he does? How does the father respond to these sons, his younger son's open rebellion? How does he respond to his older son's uh, kind of just disdain and lack of joy? And the way, I guess, that Jesus depicts the father initially is completely scandalous in the story. The Pharisees would have been seething. In fact, just a few chapters later, they start to plot Jesus' downfall and his death. And I wonder if that links a little bit back to the story or just to everything that kind of Jesus does. Because he depicts the father unlike any respectable father that they would know. And so the father, he starts off by, he's running. And this would be scandalous because any man of wealth or ups, you know, upstanding in society wouldn't run. Even worse would they bare their legs, which is what he would have done. He would have lifted up his, his cloak and his tunic to run and lift his robes. But this father, he's looking and he's longing every day. Is my, is my son going to return? He's longing to see him. He's longing to, to know if he's, he's going to come back. And he doesn't even give him a chance to start on his speech. Instead, he, he comes out, he's running to him. And the son, yeah, he doesn't get a chance to start. He, he, just, he just stops him right there and he says hey get my robe get the calf get the ring I'm going to come and lavish you and so that's what he starts off with he starts with that robe because the son stinks he's in disgrace he's spent the time with the pigs he is ceremonially unclean to be able to come into even to the father's presence at all and yet the father comes out with probably the most precious thing that he would have owned it's why, like, in the story of Joseph, Joseph is given a, a robe of many different colours. It's, it's a precious thing. And here the father comes out with his robes. He takes off his back and he, he covers it. He says, hey, I'm covering your shame. I'm covering your guilt. I'm covering your stench. And he says, it's all right, I've got it covered. If anyone looks at you, they're going to look at me. They're going to see my authority and my love because you are a son of my household. 
And so the son's dignity and honour is restored. I wonder if it's a little bit the same as like Adam and Eve, because when Adam and Eve sinned, the next time we see them encountering God, um, they are ashamed and they are naked in the garden. And so what does God do? He covers them. He covers their shame and he gives them clothes. The father gets a ring out. The ring was a sign of authority and it's just like how you signed your signature. It's how you, you signed the paperwork to say, yes, you can do this or you can do that. And it gives him access to the funds. And so the father says, you're no slave, you're my son and you're having my ring because you're mine. And he might be like, oh, but I've spent it all already. I've, already, I've squandered all, all, my, all my bit. And, and the father's like, no, son, because he's lavish and he's gracious. And he comes and he's not looking to be recompensed, but he's looking to restore and uphold. And so he gives him a ring and then he throws a meal. He refreshes his sons. He brings out all the finest food. He kills the fattened calf. Rarely would such a fine meal be presented to the, the whole household. And yet the father wants to give the best to his son that's returned because it's good news. And so he throws a party and everyone's invited. He was dead, but look, now he's alive. The son might have felt, Father, you really don't need to do this. But the father's delighted. When the son returns to him, when he comes back to his rightful place in his home, in his household. We were singing this morning about, well, lots of different, lots of different songs, but that one about who, O oh Lord, can save themselves. Shame deeper than the sea, hearts far away, but you alone can rescue. You alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. He came down to find us, led us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. Because the father that Jesus is depicting is God. And Jesus was telling the younger sons, the, the tax collectors, the, the sinners there, that whilst they might feel that they are far off, that there is a place where they can come and know and embrace and know an honour and a dignity and an uplifting. There is a lavish, lavishness and, and uh, amazing gifts that, they can, that can be received for them. Authority in the name of the Father to, to go about life, to know him, to be filled with his spirit. And um, they were being told this message. And do you know what? In Ephesians 2 verse 4 it says this, Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. It might be here today that you have felt maybe far from God, maybe distant, maybe unworthy. Maybe, you know, Chris alluded to that you feel like you're just not accepted. You struggle to be in an environment of church life. And, you know, God's calling out to you and saying, there is a moment for you to come into his presence, to come into his embrace. And towards the end of my talk, I want to give you an opportunity to respond and to, to come back into his presence, to know that you are loved and cherished and that he wants you. And wants you to know him. Do you know the father's heart, just as it was displayed to the younger son, it was also displayed to the older brother as well. Notice that the, the father didn't just come out to the younger brother, he also came out to the older one. God initiates love and he meets both where they are. And he, he comes out to, the, even though the, the older brother is sitting outside on the porch and he's kind of casting his vote of no confidence, the, the father, he comes out. He comes to him. He comes where he's at. He meets them where they're at. And even the most educated, upright, wealthy, moral people, do you know what? They need God's grace. They need the father's loving embrace. And God is able to do that, and so he does. And so that's why Jesus depicts him like this, coming out to him 
and he's taking on the shame that might have brought about by leaving your party and not making him come in. But he takes it on, takes it on himself. And he gives a ring and a robe. And he reminds him, son, you're always with me. And all I have, it's always been yours anyway. I never left you. I'm never going to forsake you. The father's heart is there to remind the son that all authority is already his. That he might have felt distant. But that wasn't because the father was distant from him. That's because he removed himself. And that's because he viewed the father as this authoritarian boss instead of all that he was always. And so he comes and reminds him that. He says, I've always been yours. I've always been here. Jesus was was reminding every kind of upright, religious, standing person there today that if they're then, and today I'm reminding you, that perhaps they might and you might have felt that God is distant and far off and the things that he calls you to do are kind of jobs and lists and that you need to become a slave to him. And and just as he is then, he's saying, no, no, come on. You're always part of my household. There's always space for you, and I love you, and I'm close to you. And if you feel distant from me, that's not because I'm away. That's because you've chosen to walk away. Now come back into my presence. Come into my household. Come into come in, into relationship with me. And you know the meal and the party. It's not just for the older son. It's for it's it's not just for the younger one. It's for the older one too. It's for him to celebrate what the father celebrates in. In the parable, the father says, "Look, look outward." Look, my son was lost, but now he is found. Because true delight is found when we delight in what the Father delights in. You can experience joy in, in looking out of your own interest and seeing what the Father delights in. So when people respond, and then we respond. When, when the Father delights in things of this world, then we delight in those. And as we get to know that, then joy is brought to our house. In order to have a missionary heart, we said at the beginning, we need to understand the Father's heart for mission. Understanding the Father's heart for people. Jesus is revealing to all, us that the, or to all of us that the Father's heart is for those who've never met God and are far away from him. And that that heart is just as same as for those who have met God perhaps before but feel distant from him. Jesus doesn't call us to become slaves to a dead religion but sons and daughters to a living God with authority in this world to advance the kingdom. The Father's delight is to usher people into his presence. And the way that he does that is through Jesus. And so he comes and he says, do you know what? I'm going to make a way to cover your shame. I'm going I'm to come to you. And the way that God does that is that he comes to us in his son Jesus. And he comes and he covers our shame and our guilt by nailing it to a cross. And so when Jesus died on the cross and gave his life up, what he was doing, he was doing that for every single one of us that our sin and our shame and the things that we don't do wrong are dealt with on the cross so that we can come freely into God's presence as people who are justified and, and forgiven, as people who are, are, are set free. And so when you know God, it's just amazing because like any boy running into their father's house and trying to look for their daddy, you can run into all the rooms. You can explore all that there is for us, for, for you. And there's so much more, more to knowing God than just, just being forgiven. There's adventures to go on and there's things to explore. There's gifts to, to receive and, and to enjoy. And, and so the father says, hey, come and explore my household. And yet so too often, sometimes Christians in Guildford, in Surrey, in the UK can spend our lives kind of sitting in the hallway of forgiveness and never exploring 
the great rooms of different joy that he has for us. And so I believe that God is wanting to share his heart again for us today. Because as we know his heart, as we remember that, then a passion from within stirs to remind ourselves that this is good news, that we want to share it with others. Just before I go on to that, I just wonder if God is knocking on your heart. I just believe today, and again, towards the end of the talk, for those people perhaps today who have maybe felt a little bit duty-bound, fall into the trap of thinking that God is distant or that he's a boss or that he's a slave driver, maybe thinking that your worth or your value, your dignity before God only comes when you do things for him, that when you don't read the Bible, you feel less able to come towards him and when you do, you feel more able. Do you know what? I believe that God just wants to release you from all that and fill you with his spirit again. And so, again, in a few minutes' time, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to the Father's heart and his embrace. And so... I I entitled this morning's talk Equipped with a Missionary Heart because I want us to know that in order for us to know to have a missionary heart we need to understand God's heart for people. Every single one of us who has already put their trust in Jesus did so because someone in our lives walked across the room and told us about Jesus. Maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a youth worker, maybe it was a, a colleague. Someone invited us to church Maybe it was someone at the CU. Maybe it was someone in, in a university. Someone said something to us so that we could hear about God, our Father. For some people that we meet, they will be at the bottom of the barrel, at life's end in a mess, feeling a long way from God and a long way from the possibility that a, a, a God could ever love them and want to know them. For others that we meet, they've got everything together. They seem like, well, they they couldn't possibly need anything else. And yet for for both, they need God, just like me and you do. And older brothers need to hear, hey, I'm always with you and I'm never going to leave you and I want to know you. And younger brothers need to hear, hey, yeah, I know you you were lost, but now you're found. And I've got you and I'm with you and I will never leave you or forsake you. Over, um, yeah, just what I'll finish on. What does this kind of look like? This looks like just us sharing our lives with our friends. Throughout this series, um, it's possible that you've been thinking that as we come onto a series called Equip, that's about how do we gear up our plans for God, how do we um, grow in our evangelism, which is a a word for how we share our faith, that we were going to come and give you lots of tools and techniques and how to do this and how to do that. And I just believe that that's not the case. Because evan- oh, I, I, I sort of don't really like that word. When we share our faith with people, that's not just for the few. There's not just, sometimes you, we can think, well, we can think two things. We can see the people on the street wagging their Bibles and shouting at people and think, I don't want to run as far away from that as possible, and I'm with you on that, and think, that if that's what it is, I don't want to go anywhere near it, and that can be one danger. The other danger is that we kind of think it's an optional extra, that... It's only for some people and generally for people that stand at the front and for all the rest of us, we don't need to do that. And I just believe that all those people in the household that would have celebrated on that day when that son came home would have known this story and shared this story with their friends because it's good news. We love to share good news stories. Over Christmas holidays, I listened to that Peter Crouch podcast. Great. Other podcasts are available, but it's great. 
And I was chatting to one of Catherine's colleagues and um, he, he hadn't read it. And I was confident in sharing with him that he should listen to this, my mate Pete, who's on the podcast, he says it's about passing the pod. And uh, I was confident that he would um, receive this news well because I, I knew that he would enjoy it. I, I, just, I just knew it. And so I, I was willing to put myself out there to tell him about, about this good news of the podcast. And so I passed the pod on to him. And do you know what? So often, sometimes, we can, we can do that. We can um, kind of talk to our friends, our families, our neighbours about the things that perhaps we feel a little bit confident about. Sometimes that... We can talk about church and the things that a church is doing much more than we ever talk about Jesus. Sometimes we can talk about like, you know, oh, well, we give to this, this and this and and we do that and oh, social gatherings and and we can talk about the church. But do you know what? The good news of the gospel isn't the church. The good news is Jesus. And so me and Catherine have been trying really hard over these last few months to earn the right to share by making sure we spend time with our neighbours. So Catherine will go to everything that their, our, our neighbours and her colleagues do. If, if there's like a, a social, she's there and she's talking to them. And for me, I, I intentionally do that at the barber. Every, every few weeks, I'm there, I'm sitting there for like an hour because my barber's ridiculous. And, um, uh, and I sit there and I ask him. I ask him questions. I learn about his family. I learn about his life. I learn about his kids. I, I, and then I go back and I remember them and I talk to him about them. And then when he comes and talks to me, you know, I, at first, my first year in Guildford, I found it really easy to talk about church. And that's what I did. And then over the last six months, I said, you know what? I'm not going to talk about church. Let me tell you about Jesus. This is what my life was like. And this is the difference that he's made. And our conversation has just taken on a new, new level. And, yeah, I mean, it's a, quite an underwhelming story because, you know, nothing's happened. But the success of whatever happens in that relationship is not down to me. The results are God's. What I'm called to do is to share the good news. I'm called to pass the pod or share the saviour or bring joy to the giver. I don't know. Um, that's what I'm called to do. I'm, I'm just called to be me, to journey in life together. Every single one of us have people in our lives who don't know Jesus. Everyone. Whether it's your postman, your neighbour, your friend, your colleague, your barber, your hairdresser, whoever it is, we all have people and all we're called to do is to share the good news because it is amazing news. And there's a father there who, who loves us, who's for us. He doesn't want to leave us or forsake us. He wants to embrace us and invite us back into the household. Is that good? Let's get the band back up. Um, I said I, I wanted to give you a chance to respond, and so we're going to respond in two ways. The first way is, um, in a minute, I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes, and we're going to pray. And if you're someone here today who has, maybe you felt like you, you were like the younger son. You've been a far away from God. Maybe you've been like a prodigal, reckless living, and you want to come, you want to come back to the Father. Do you know today you can, you can do that? And in a minute, I'm going to give you a chance to do that, and you can pray with me. And equally, it might be that you, you've kind of known something of God um, and you, 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 on the outside you look like, you know, you go to church, you, you kind of do the stuff, you do the groups, whatever, but perhaps just in your heart you felt distant from him. And I want to pray the same prayer, I want to pray together and today you can, you can respond to him. You say, Father, I've started to treat you like a boss. And I want to know you again as a father. And so can we all bow our heads and shut our eyes? I want to pray for both of those things. And if that's you, 
it's good for me to know who I'm praying for. So why don't you just raise your hand now? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Any others? Great. Why don't you put your hands down? I've seen you. Why don't you pray with me in your heart? Heavenly Father, I admit that I've done wrong, that I've messed up. But Lord, I believe that just as the Father came out to both groups of people in the story, that God, you have come to me in the form of your son, Jesus. I believe in you, Jesus. And I want to commit my life to you, not as a boss or a slave driver, but as my father. And so I just pray now, for the first time or the hundredth time, I pray, Heavenly Father, help me to know your loving embrace. Help me to know you near me. Help me to trust, Lord God, that that you are for me just as I am and not because of what I do. Lord, I want to commit to living life closely to you. So I just pray now, fill me with your spirit and help me to know the joy of all that it means to be in my Father's house. Amen. And uh, the second way is, can I encourage us all to stand? We're going to sing again. And as we do, I just want you to invite him in your heart to fill him with your Holy Spirit. It might be that, I think for all of us, let's pray that God will help us. If we've received this good news, that he would help us to share it, to have a missionary heart, because God has a heart for people, because he loves people. And he wants all to come to know him and to be blessed and to come into flourishing and thriving in him. And so I'm going to pray one more time and then we're going to sing. And I just want to encourage you, why don't you open up your arms to him, your hearts to him in whatever way you feel comfortable. And let's just ask him to receive, to receive that gift of the Holy Spirit, that boldness, that courage. So that when we get the opportunity, we'll be people that pass the pod, share the good news, share our saviour. Heavenly Father, I... Just pray right now all across this room. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us again? Would you fill us and and equip us, Lord? Would you help gear us up for the plans of God? Help us to know, Lord God, and to trust that this is good news. To be confident, Lord God, in, in all that you've done in our lives. We thank you for that. And because of that, because we know the goodness that you are to us, Lord God, I pray, help us to be confident in sharing the name of Jesus. The name that is above every name. The name that is incomprehensible but even but also knowable and I just pray Heavenly Father you give us courage to utter his name so that as we're speaking we're not just speaking about the social group of called church that we enjoy but we're speaking about the saviour the one that we come to know joy in and so pray Holy Spirit would you just come now fill us with your good gifts fill us Lord God with your yeah with that strength and courage to share to journey with our friends to to talk of your good name Bless us, I pray, as we worship you, as we give you all the praise and adoration. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please do come and visit us Sundays, 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.